Welcome to the Focus and Chill podcast, where we discuss productivity tactics that work for neurodiverse individuals. Every episode, we interview guests with lived experience of neurodiversity who also have a solid productivity and habit game, and pass the learnings on to you, our wise and benevolent audience. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Joey. I'm Joey, and I coach creatives to get moving on their most ambitious projects through the power of solid habits and strong focus. I'm also a perpetual student of psychology and perpetually on a quest to a one-armed chin-up. And I'm Jeremy. I'm a neurodiverse software developer turned startup founder, building habit and focus software for people with ADHD. My cool party trick is leaving parties early so I get to sleep on time to do my three hour long morning routine. The Focus and Chill podcast is brought to you by Focus Bear, a habit and productivity app that makes healthy habits and deep work the path of least resistance. If you have a tendency to check emails or scroll through Instagram first thing in the morning, but long to develop a meditation and exercise habit first thing, Focus Bear can help you. The app blocks distractions on all your devices and guides you through your habits one at a time. Throughout the day, Focus Bear assists you to stay in deep work by blocking websites and apps that are unrelated to your chosen focus mode. Life's not all about work though. You'll be prompted to take regular breaks to rest your eyes and stretch your muscles. At the end of the day, Focus Bear helps you switch off. Work-related apps get hidden so you can unwind and sleep well. Check out the app by going to focusbear.io. Welcome to episode number 29 of the Focus and Chill podcast. We're thrilled to be joined by Dave Thompson today. Dave is a self-advocate with ADHD, dyslexia, and sensory processing disorder. He's worked as an innovator, consultant, trainer, and strategist within the neurodiversity employment space since 2010. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. This is really cool. Yeah, it's really good to have you. Can you tell us a bit about your experience with neurodiversity? When did you realize that you weren't neurotypical? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have been uh, neurodistinct since before, I guess, uh, neurodiversity was really even a a term that was coined, um, of course. Uh, I was, but unlike a lot of other people's stories right now, uh, which are really important stories of late diagnosis or late realizations, I was diagnosed at uh, five years old. So in the early 90s, um, at least with ADHD and dyslexia, never formally diagnosed with anything else, but I self-diagnosed a couple of other things. Um, and, and because of that, you know, I was kind of raised on assumed deficits or inabilities or through this kind of disability lens, um, in, you know, special education classes in school and, and by my family, you know, by my family to their credit, you know, there really wasn't any other lens to look through, um, in, in New York in the early nineties. So I, I don't, I don't blame them, but just kind of, um, raised based on on the idea that uh i i had some pretty serious limits to my potential rather than encouraged to explore what i'm actually good at and now i know i'm good at a, a lot of stuff right um and 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 also explore what what challenges i have what my barriers are and how to mitigate those barriers you know um i i read and wrote backwards when i was younger some of those things have gone away but some of them have uh have per- persisted i still struggle to tie my shoes i still struggle um in a lot of ways i dropped out of college three times failed my road test my driver's test three or four times so i do have some some barriers um that said when i uh, you know and 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 concentration stuff you know sensitivity to light distraction noise things like that 
the 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 neurodiversity movement has been really eye-opening for me to look at myself and my brain through a different lens and that's kind of been like the single most empowering thing that has happened to me in my adult life uh there's kind of the days before that and the dave before that and the and the dave after that um now i realize i have lots to contribute to the world of work and to you know i i'm perfectly capable and do lead a really meaningful life uh and it's thanks to the idea that the way i'm wired is naturally occurring there's nothing wrong with me um and you know it's the world of work or community life or school etc that need to catch up with the natural variations in in people's brains does that make sense yeah absolutely and that's such an empowering way to look at it i'm really glad to hear that it has evolved since those early days of more of the deficit model you spoke about some things that are challenging for you. Are there things that come easy to you that you, that because there's often a spiky skill set that some things are hard, some things are easy? Yeah, yeah. And and now you know hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So now I see these as as threads, kind of um, you know, sewn through the fabric of my life, right? Where you could have seen when I was younger that it's so obvious that Dave is super outgoing. You know, like I was doing Jim Carrey impressions in the talent show when I was seven years old and things like that, um, speaking, you know, doing little plays in front of hundreds of people. And now um, not everybody wants to get onto a webinar and talk to a few hundred people about a a, 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 a blossoming topic um, that, you know, with a, with a lot of room to make mistakes and a lot of, you know, um, a, a, a fairly complicated topic. But I do, and I'm perfectly confident in doing that. And I do attribute that to me and the way my brain is wired. I mean, if you look at a lot of people with ADHD, um, we tend to be extroverted, outgoing, or or at least able or natural with that kind of that kind of ability. Like I, I see myself as kind of someone who wants to make people comfortable, kind of a, a tour guide, uh, naturally empathetic, and I pride myself on that. I didn't necessarily attribute that to my neurotype, obviously, when I was younger, but that's just definitely something that sticks out. Also, being dyslexic, I mean, I always say it's it's to uh, everyone's benefit that I kind of see things backwards, upside down, inside out. Like, I do feel that I have that uh, dyslexic way of thinking that uh, I, I can look at 3D, not actual 3D models, like I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not an engineer or anything like that, but like if I look at building something with blocks or something like that, I tend to take to those kinds of things very naturally or like building furniture without the instructions. I would never read the instructions to put something together because I'm better at putting it together and figuring it out by myself than actually following those linear processes. So yeah, those are those are a couple of my my skills that I think definitely um, stick out for me. Mm. Yeah, the seeing things differently, that, that's really interesting the way you described it, seeing things backwards and upside down because it, it means conventional ways of doing things which may actually not be optimal. You may, maybe the, the way you build furniture is actually a better way than what the IKEA instructions or whatever, that what it says in the linear process. Absolutely. And as someone who has worked with a lot of, you know, I have a lot of experience in supporting neurodistinct individuals as well. Um, all I could picture doing in my career was kind of supporting people like 
the way I needed when I was younger um, and now kind of more concentrating on changing the world of work. I see it all the time where maybe it's quiet innovations. Maybe it's just personal innovations and ways of doing things um, that don't get a lot of credit and don't get a lot of attention and whatever. But you see these incredible efficiencies, even with, you know, let's say um, some autistic colleagues that I've had that are non-speaking that would not elect to share the kind of efficiencies or redundancies or whatever that they've exposed within certain processes, let's say within an industrial environment or something like that. Um, but they do, they do all the time. And it just shows the benefits of ensuring that all different brains are included in everything and looking at all problems, you know? Absolutely. I'm curious about with language wise, I, I'm, I really like neurodistinct and I've heard a few people using that as opposed to neurodivergent. Could you talk about the, the way that you see the different labels and, and which one you think is most appropriate these days. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. I think it's an important conversation. I also think it's important for people to understand that as long as they're well-intentioned, that we shouldn't be out to get anybody or there's no correct or incorrect way of speaking, especially because, you know, this space is so quickly moving that, you know, I've written things or said things in maybe... 2020 or so that I wouldn't say or uh, write the same way again, right? So it's a very quickly evolving space. So I will say, let me let's let's date stamp it too in case this continues to evolve, right? <laughs> um, and I'm sure it will. So um, on July 19th, uh, 2023, yes, I'm using the word neurodistinct to to describe my brain, whereas before that it was neurodivergent, and before that it was neurodiverse. And if you don't mind. I'll I'll go over those things. So a person in by themselves can't be diverse, right? You can only be di you can only have a diverse group of things, right? You can't be a diverse person. So really calling people neurodiverse was a little bit of just a misnomer to begin with, right? So neuro everyone is included in neurodiversity. Um, that's diversity, right? It's just brain diversity, which is to everyone's benefit including the fact that I appreciate my neurotypical co co-workers, right? Um, that I, I need those brains and my wife's neurotypical brain just as much as I, as I, you know, evangelize the benefits of having all different kinds of neurodistinct brains. So that's neurodiversity. Um, so a person by themselves in a vacuum can't be neurodiverse. Neurodivergent kind of stemmed from that and implied something that, you know, um, diverges away or moves away from the uh, the typical communication and thinking uh, style of, of, you know, what the other 80 or so percent of people, um, how they process information and communicate, right? So that was neurodivergent. However, I think the, the, the idea around moving on to neurodistinct, and so neurodistinct essentially means the same thing. Um, Tim Goldstein from Google coined neurodistinct, who is a friend and someone I, I greatly respect. Um, and I think the idea was to, to, to use divergent or neurodivergent kind of implies that it's like a choice, right? Like that it's like a rebellion away from something, which is not the case, right? Like, so it's not that we uh, reject neurotypical thinking or something like that. And it's also not that there's anything wrong with us. So divergent also implies that there's like a normal 
and an, and an abnormal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so neurodistinct is even more neutral, right? Um, and and I like it a lot. Um, it is gaining steam, but it's uh, a, still a very new term. I still tend to uh, slip back into neurodivergent uh, every once in a while, and I don't think anyone's out to get me because of it, but I will say, um, yeah, it's quickly evolving and it's really exciting to kind of hear a word for the first time and, and notice that there's only a few hundred hashtags with that word and feeling like I have, I'm, I'm on the, I pay such close attention that I see something happening right in front of me. You know what I mean? And I do think the nerd distinct is where it's at and where it's going. Yeah. I, I did, heard- did I answer, did I answer your question? Yeah, you, you did. I, I heard an episode from Tim Goldstein and I, I liked that term as well. One potential objection to it could be that it may come across as being almost elitist, that people then who are more in, within the neurotypical band might feel like, what about us? We're, we're also special. Right. And, and, and it's funny because like the term, the the word distinction, like person of distinction, like is like a hoity toity, like that's like a fancy term or something, uh, but something distinct, like this has a distinct quality doesn't mean that it's special or better. It just means it's particular. Like you could describe um, a really bad smell as having a distinct smell, right? <laughs> So, uh, but it's interesting how language works like that and how across different cultures as well, words, the meanings of words change ever so slightly. And I've seen in the past where uh, people have been started to use a word and then in another country, that word sounds a little different or takes on a slightly different tone. And maybe it's something you can't really even put into words, but it's just kind of a vibe, right? Um, So yeah, I think that that's what's part of what's so exciting about this movement. It's you know, we're right on top of it. It's ever evolving. I'm still meeting people every day that have never heard of the term neurodiversity or like uh, are still blown away by taking a strengths-based approach to our natural differences, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it, you, it it takes a lot to catch up, but it, again, it's exciting to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, flows well into the next question about your work that a lot of what you're doing is talking to people and and doing those webinars can you tell the audience a bit more about the type of work projects you concentrate on yeah so as i kind of implied earlier um all i could picture doing was kind of helping the young dave helping the person that i needed when i was younger that brought me into human services and job coaching and things like that and then working at some really incredible mission driven businesses that had the goal of providing employment opportunities to neurodistinct people uh, mostly autistic young adults. Um, that brought me to this kind of idea, and maybe it's just part of what I'm good at because I think that job coaching and human services and talent coaching are all really, really important. But uh, this idea that the world of work has way more catching up to do than most of these incredible employees and trainees that I was supporting over time, right? That if you at these mission driven companies that are literally built around the idea, that there should be a more equitable and empathetic, flexible, understanding world of work, that when you look at people in those environments, they thrive and often outperform their neurotypical peers. So really, if we just fix the world of work, it would open up a lot of opportunities. So I kind of 
uh, leveraged my experience in supporting people directly. And I still do plenty of that. But uh, my my primary focus is to fix the company, right? And so Potential Workforce, my my employer, who I'm I'm so lucky to be part of, Potential Workforce was started in 2019 with the same idea of um, supporting mostly really big companies in becoming neuroinclusive. Um, you see hiring initiatives that have popped up in the last 10 years at companies like Microsoft, Ernst & Young, Google, um, uh, IBM, Dell, and places like that. Uh, and they're all different. Uh, they're all trailblazers. They've all done really big things. And that movement is is gaining steam, right? And so whereas a company like Microsoft or Ernst & Young kind of did it on their own and have plenty of... Um, plenty of resources, I guess, to throw around to really do research and development on something like this and figure out what works. Other companies want to say, say, well, it's going so well for you. How do we do it? Right. And so Potentia kind of took the playbook at a combination of best practices from kind of a bunch of those founding companies. And we support other companies in, in walking the walk. And so we're very high touch, um, uh, as far as these neurodiversity hiring initiatives, we first uh, train actual teams like managers and mentors, et cetera, on how to be more neuroinclusive as, as well as their, their senior leadership, their HR. Um, then we actually proactively recruit neurodistinct professionals who face you know a 30 to 40% unemployment rate in the US um, into these specialized roles within companies like Chevron, Baker Hughes, AIG, some of the world's largest organizations. Um, and then we provide ongoing support, not just to that. When, when I say ongoing support, everyone automatically thinks of that new hire that might be autistic, ADHD, etc. Um, and that is true. We do provide ongoing support to that individual, but we provide just as much support to that manager and those teams. Because like I said, that's my concentration. I do think that if we fix the workplace, uh, the burden won't be as much on neurodistinct people to align themselves and fit in, you know, squid, fit a square peg at a round hole, right? But rather to um, just feel like they belong somewhere that's truly inclusive, right? So that's that's our STARS program. Um, we also have, you know, someone could uh, respond to those neurodiversity hiring programs and say, well, what about me? I've worked at Microsoft since well before they started this program and I'm autistic or I have ADHD, right? Um, and there are tons of employees that work at companies that are not part of neurodiversity hiring initiatives. So what about them? And what about becoming an employer of choice uh, for people that think differently, right? So we want entire companies to change. And so we have this newer program called Empower. I don't think there's anything really like it. Uh, and Empower kind of supports a larger section of a big company or maybe even a whole company in um, you know, measuring their employee engagement, retention, productivity, happiness, belonging, um, and, and kind of process consulting and digging in and looking at how neuroinclusive this environment is, where they're at as far as their fluency with what neurodiversity is all about and how they can support their employees. And we improve those those metrics, that engagement, productivity, retention, belonging, happiness, all that stuff um, through the the ways that we support, um, support them moving forward. Uh, so that was a lot of words. Thank you for listening. Uh, and I hope it all makes sense. Let me know what you think.
Yeah, that that sounds really cool that both supporting companies to hire better and supporting the teams as well, that seems really important because it it's probably not enough to just get someone into the job, but actually helping them to be productive and to feel welcomed is really important. What are some of the things that companies can do, say with hiring? I've heard, for example, sending the interview questions out in advance is one of the, the big things. What are some other things that companies can do both with hiring and with supporting their staff? Let's do one for hiring and one for supporting. I do like to start in the very beginning and I could go all day. For hiring, you already talked about interviewing. That's a great example of, of a more inclusive way to be interviewing. Also strengths-based interviewing rather than asking very finite, skills-based questions. Uh, let, let the, you know, candidates should be interviewing the company too, first of all. It should be much more of a conversation and also a strengths-based approach. So let them tell you what they bring to the table. Let them talk about what they want to talk about and share what makes them different, what makes them special and why you should pick them, right? Um, also job descriptions. Um, there's this very copy and paste culture uh, in the world of, of recruiting and job descriptions where um, a lot of a lot of job descriptions say the same thing and they don't all mean it. So for example, um, and there's a lot of self-selecting out. So not only is AI or something like that or, or, or just rigid processes and rules um, eliminating a lot of candidates that could contribute in really big ways uh, to, to the workplace. But also the first step is that candidates are self-selecting out and not clicking submit on those applications, right? And that's because uh, job descriptions say things like, must be a strong communicator. How many jobs across a company do, 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 you know, say must be a strong communicator and how many different things might that mean? Whether you're in food services, cybersecurity, you're the CFO or something like that, you know, three very different roles that all probably say must be a strong communicator and all probably mean something different. Am I a strong communicator? Yes. Am I good at communicating everything? Absolutely not. So if it said something like must be a strong communicator about uh, when it comes to processing payroll and anything to do with numbers and explaining <laughs> any sort of like logistical processes or linear processes, I would, I would self-select out of that resume. But if it said must be a strong communicator, must give a webinar once a month about your favorite topic, I would be game, right? So hmm. saying what you mean, meaning what you say, being more specific and not just sticking to this copy paste language, if it doesn't need to be, you know, more realistically probably must be a strong communicator in cybersecurity might mean responding to emails within one business day, typically, or something like that. Like it doesn't necessarily mean constant one-on-one -on -one conversations. There's a big difference between working with a small team and communicating effectively with them and them understanding your communication style versus having to communicate with strangers all day, every day. That's very different for a lot of people. Mm. And so must be a strong communicator could mean any of those things that I just rambled at you. Right. And so what does it really mean? Not much. Be more specific. The other thing. So then we said as far as like the, uh, you know, life at work and the employee experience, um, employee resource groups are, are really effective as far as, you know, uh, when you want companies to kind of stand on their own two feet and be inclusive for the long term. Well, empowering 
those that actually work at the company is, is the first and foremost best way to do that. So employee resource groups, there's not many that are neurodiversity specific. Most are disability specific and not everyone that's uh, neurodistinct identifies as disabled. There's a lot of kind of offshoot groups and things like that. A couple, a couple of companies are doing neurodiversity-specific ERGs, uh, including some of our clients. We're supporting some of our companies in developing uh, neurodiversity ERGs, um, and we see that as as really, really important. Empowering the employees to have a voice, to be there for each other, for peer support, mentorship opportunities, um, and and things like that, and to kind of be that group within the company that says when it comes to being more, you know, inclusive of us, this is what we'd really like you to do. Let letting, you know, there shouldn't be conversations about us without us, right? And what better to do that? To ha, ha, what better than for those people to be working within your company, those voices that you're going to elevate and listen to and amplify, you know? I love that. That last phrase there, no conversations about us without us. That seems really important. Let's shift gears a bit to what you do when you're not working. What are your hobbies? I am a family man these days. I mean, I, I have an incredible um, wife and daughter uh, who I like to spend as much time with as I can. Um, and and I feel that it's I've I've learned in more recent years how important it is that I unplug work from work completely and kind of do the opposite of work to even myself out. And to me, that is uh, getting out into to nature, getting my steps in. A lot of people who work remotely, especially don't move around enough. And in the past year or so, I've really prioritized just making sure I walk my dogs five times a day or something like that. Um, and, and doing so with, with my kid, um, concentrating on, you know, health, wellness, fitness, and things like that. Um, besides that, I am a musician, quick, quick neurodiversity related story as far as me being a musician. So as a child, uh, I was in the orchestra, I played the upright bass. Um, and I always had the same music teacher from fourth, fifth and sixth grade. Then I moved schools into seventh grade into middle school. And I was kicked out of the orchestra within the first week of being there. And the reason why is because this orchestra teacher did some sort of a test where I had to sight read music. And it turns out, much to the surprise of everybody else, including my parents, I didn't know how to read music. And that the entire time I was playing by ear and just listening to the person next to me and figuring it out. And I can do that. Like, you know, that's a skill that I have. Reading music is not a skill that I have. And I don't think I'd be able to, I don't, don't think I'd want to learn today. So I was removed from an opportunity because I did something, I did things differently than other people. Meanwhile, I was contributing just fine before that. So that's a shame. So that said, I am I I I put the upright bass and orchestra down, pick the electric guitar up. Lots of rockers don't know how to read music, and that's totally okay. Uh so I do I do play uh punk rock bass and, and guitar a little bit uh, in my free time, self-taught, just for fun. Um that's that's one of my things. Love it. That's so cool that you found something that you could enjoy and got out of the the straight-laced orchestra culture. <laughs> and they, I'm sure they missed a great opportunity to, to have you contribute. Oh, well, thanks. How about your morning routine? What, what do you, how do you normally start your day? I will say that the biggest thing is having one at all. I mean, 
I don't know if it's just maturity or what, but it took me so long to realize that I thrive on routine um, more and more and more as life goes on. And I don't want to be overly rigid, but you know, me, when I was first entering the world of work, maybe I didn't know where my keys were, <laughs> you know, and there's this whole kind of Joe ongoing, almost joke within the ADHD community that like, we never know where our phones or our keys are, or we are relate all the time. I'll tell you one thing. I don't remember the last time I lost my keys, my phone, or that I was late to anything. And I never want to be, I'm very, very routine driven. Um, so I, I wake up around five, uh, make sure I walk my dogs. Um, see my kids, my, my kid, my wife, get ready for work. Um, kind of all out of order, depending on how the day is going, what needs to get done. Um, but my, my big thing that I think differs from a lot of other people is most people that I know would rather come in at nine. And if they're going to work any extra, they work later. I work earlier. Um, I'll, I'll also, a lot of ADHD people say that they're night owls and I'm, I'm not at all. I'm in bed by 10 o'clock. So I start my day at 7 a.m. and I get organized. Um, I do my, you know, I turn on my uh my noise canceling headphones. I listen to low frequency binaural, like brown, brown noise and things like that all day. Um, and a lot of the time I get more done in the two hours before, you know, business is open, quote unquote, um, at 9 a.m. I get more done in those two hours than I do in the rest of the day. So I, I really, really value that time as my time to do whatever I need to do. And if I need to do something personal too, I can do that. But um, kind of like easing into my work day, my way has been really key. And I know not everyone has that luxury. When I was working in person, I was able to, you know, get into my office on my own. I had keys, whatever. And now I haven't been back to the office in person since basically since March of 2020. Um, and that has seriously helped my my work systems and what sets me up for success at work and my my routine. So I know not everyone's that that lucky, uh, but I think that we should really be encouraging remote work because when you give people flexibility on how they get things done, they're going to deliver. They're going to do a much better job than if we're really rigid about it. Mm, absolutely. And some of the the things that you're doing in terms of, say, going for a walk with the dogs five times per day, that sounds amazing. And to me, that sounds like a recipe for productivity. But for a FaceTime culture, that would be like, what is he doing? Why is he not in, in there on the computer where the manager can see him? <laughs> but I think that's where some of the conventional views around productivity are a bit broken. Absolutely. So you spoke about in terms of your your strategies for optimizing productivity, managing noise using headphones and the low frequency binaural beats. I'm curious about what frequency you, you use for that. I've heard 40 hertz is pretty good. What's your that, preference? That's really interesting. I think I don't pay attention to that the same way I don't pay attention to like gas prices. Numbers <laughs> for me, I can't, I can't um but I, I, I'll click on one of my favorite ones right now. Yeah. Um, well, I'm listening to one that doesn't say the frequency. Um, <laughs> let me see. I don't pay. I don't pay for YouTube, so I, I still do get ads. <laughs> um, I think 40 hertz is a is a common one. Uh, six hertz. Wow, six. Hertz. I listen to. Hmm. Uh, 160 hertz. I mean, the, the, 
That's really interesting. I should actually start trying to find because a lot of the time I'll listen to one and I'll say, no, that's not low enough. Like um, when people listen to rain, that is very high and like uh, trebly and staticky oh, yeah. usually. Mm. Um, that's not enough for me. I want to go much lower than that, you know, mm. more like more like uh, elephant sounds or whale sounds <laughs> or something like low, low, low. Um, yeah. I'll have to try that because I normally do more like trance music, which... <laughs> It's probably a, a bit different, but do, do you vary it depending on the type of work that you're doing? When I'm digging into one task and, uh, you know, uh, if I'm in a meeting, I listen to um, humming. Okay. When I'm uh, when I'm clicking around and doing a million things at once, usually I'm listening to something very simple like that. But if I have like, let's say I had to write an essay, uh, I had to write an article and I'm doing that one thing and I get rid of all my other windows, I listen to heavy metal music. Music that usually I don't understand the lyrics to. So maybe there, <laughs> maybe German there music. are words, but maybe, rah, 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 rah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, and just, just riffy, heavy, um, he heavy, just kind of like droning beats really helps me. So I understand the trance thing for sure. <laughs> Might have to try maybe Swedish heavy metal. There you go. Yeah. And then working from home you said was a game changer what what are some of the advantages to you for working from home i mean i almost need to go back the other way now because i i lovingly refer to this room as kind of a bubble right i mean to be able to completely shape my work environment from the top down has been so special to me to the point that I actually do need to push myself and instead of my two fancy monitors actually grab my laptop and go to my backyard or grab my laptop and go to a cafe every once in a while just to make sure I still have the ability like I, I'm almost getting spoiled in this in this work environment you know but I am just so so much more productive um natural light really important uh having the same place to go no matter what is really important so when you think about new office culture and kind of this like shared office space and moving around and the environment changing around you all the time. I, I don't thrive in those kinds of environments. I like to know what to expect. Um, so arriving in my office, which is across the hall from my bedroom every day, um, it, you know, being able to control the natural light, LED lights, no fluorescent lights. Um, I have a standing desk. I don't, I don't use it enough, but I, I do. And I, I like, I also can roll it around so I can, I can move it around. I'm moving it right now. I can move it around my room. Um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, my just normalizing things like a messy desk, like a lot of papers on my desk and not being afraid of like if the cleaning person is going to get rid of them overnight or something like that. Um, fidgets and stress balls and things like that are are great. And then my fancy audio setup, which isn't just because I do podcasts and webinars and stuff. I uh, just like I want really good audio. I, I feel like I benefit from having a fancy microphone in front of me too, for some reason. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit of a, a snob when it comes to my inputs and outputs. So, um, you know, my, my big, my big flat screen monitors that, that move around my, uh, my audio, it's all really important. I love it. It's a bit like some people feel like wearing a suit helps them to feel like they're in an important environment and view it's the, the fancy microphone. Yeah, I think I'll feel the same. Absolutely. You mentioned that you go for multiple walks per day, which is a great example of the power of taking breaks. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with you shortly. 
Hello there, this is Joey. I'm excited to tell you about a project I run where I help imaginative people just like you breathe life into their creative dreams, like writing that book or performing that stand-up comedy set. I know the first step can be daunting. I've been there many times and have helped many people on a similar journey. If you've wondered how to bring those ideas swimming around in your head to life, get in touch. We'll shrink the intimidating dragon of a goal into a cute little lizard of an achievable daily habit that you can do every day to get started and stay moving. Click on the link in the show description to get in touch. Okay, now we're back and we're going to talk about a habit you'd like to remove from your life. From what I understand, people with ADHD are prone to like addiction. Um, I'm so thankful I don't have any really, really problematic addictions, but I will say that people are shocked when they learn how much I like candy and sweets. Uh And yeah, and I think that's because of our dopamine and all that stuff. I'm no scientist or doctor, but um, I really, and, and, and just like how some people, when they're stressed out, they need a cigarette. Again, I'm thankful that's not me, but I like uh, my wife will know the days that she needs to bring me a candy bar home when she's on her way home from work you know um and it's not the worst habit in the world but i definitely think that it's uh it's something i'd like to get rid of um also i i mean again this this one's kind of a blessing and a curse but i i never unplug i never ever you know my phone is in my hand and i i do have a really strong ability to concentrate on more than one thing at once but for example when i am uh winding down I can watch TV and text three people and be online shopping at the same time without any, you know, without missing a beat. But I do think that that's not the best all the time. And so I'd like to be able to more deliberately unplug whenever, you know, just a little bit more often. Hmm. But it sounds like you you do that a fair bit with getting time in nature which is but but I'm listening to I'm I I mean if I'm not with my family then I'm absolutely listening to a podcast I would never do it by my I would I'm listening to to music or um constantly needing information inputs so most of the time podcasts uh when I when anytime I'm by myself I can't do the dishes without listening to something that's not enough for me to be alone with my own thoughts. Not that I have like haunting thoughts or anything like that. I'm just, it's very, it's much more comfortable for me to have some sort of, you know, input all the time. Yeah, I'm similar. Mm-hmm. Sometime, I, I find sometimes doing the dishes on my own is almost my form of meditation, that sitting down and, and doing meditation is hard for me, but having busy hands, quiet mind, I, I do like that expression. Definitely. You spoke a bit about when you're winding down, you're you're watching TV and, and texting people. What are some of the other things you do in your wind down routine? Because you you go to bed at a relatively fixed time, so you can wake up at five a.m. each day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I go on a night. I walk a mile with my my wife and the dogs before before bed, and then we watch about a half hour of TV, and then we go to sleep. Not not too much on on the on the weeknights. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, um, it may sound boring, but it it really does, uh, gives me a good baseline and a good, um, a good balance day to day for sure. Hmm. Uh, sounds good to me. 
how about do, do you ever with the the punk rock do you play in a band do you have some nights where you you break out and have a, a longer or go out, stay out longer not in a few years i mean i'm not playing i used to play i used to play out i could send you a send you a link don't share it <laughs> <laughs> um but uh i i still do have a lot of friends uh far fl- flung across the u.s that are in bands and uh when they come to town i always get we always get to kind of be because because being in the crowd it shows like that is a little rough so it's good to know the band so you could be somewhere safe and backstage and calm where you could sit uh so i pride myself on that so whenever uh bands do come to town uh every couple months we'll go to a concert um and and we'll go we'll travel to vegas or somewhere for a music festival every once in a while um but only every couple months not every weekend nice probably with a, a young child it needs to be a little bit different than it was in the past last few questions what resources do you find most helpful could be books podcasts philosophies sensory toys anything like that that's a good question i would say that um social media and being able to kind of curate your own experience and learn from peers about your brain and neurodiversity and stuff rather than looking at it through a, men- a medical lens or like a quote unquote expert lens. Uh, there's been such an explosion of self-diagnosis, for example, again, that's not my story, but it's a really important one. Um, recently, thanks to like TikTok, you know, like so many people are realizing things are clicking for them because they're hearing firsthand accounts from others. Um, and also, uh, you know, support groups for people who already know what's going on with them, whether they're formal or informal, finding mentors, finding support um, has been really, really cool. I mean, for for you to be up for me to be able to say something and someone say, wow, I've never heard anyone identify with this, that trait in me, or I've never said that out loud. And I didn't even realize that was an ADHD thing, right? There's been so much of that stuff going on and it makes you feel so much more heard and seen and understood and normal right and like that there's nothing wrong with you um when when you when you see that so i i can't say enough about that Hmm, absolutely i've found it very validating myself anything else any favorite sensory toys or philosophies or apps that you like I, I like all the traditional sensory toys i mean i i do i do think that it's so important that we normalize stuff like this um so i like squishy balls fidget spinners fidget cubes uh this is the only thing i have right in front of me usually i have more stuff on my desk um but but i i really really enjoy that um and and as far as apps i mean i i'm a big supporter of assistive tech and of tools not not even all tools that were developed specifically for neurodistinct people but things like task managers like trello monday.com slack things like that i mean i think that those could be really helpful i use those things but i also have never been able to replace paper and even i was able to meet with the founder of trello which is like a multi-billion dollar company now it was bought by atlassian which is an australian company um but i met with the founder of trello because of my interesting use case in supporting neurodistinct people in using trello in a really interesting way a couple of years ago and we were talking about it and he explained that, you know, and that's kind of like a Kanban, like a d- different squares on a page. You could organize them in any way you want. 
Um, and he said, well, I developed it because I was looking at my screen and I had sticky notes, post-it notes all on the bottom of my screen to remind me to do things. And I said, I'm a web developer. Why don't I just make an app to replace those things? That makes a lot of sense to me. And But then he said, but I still have sticky notes all along the bottom of my screen. <laughs> so my, my, my point is, I mean... I, I'm definitely someone who messes around and fools around. I, I think that there's there's never going to be like one final answer. Things should constantly evolve for you and you can try things. And if you stop, it doesn't mean you failed. Um, but, you know, fiddle around, see what works for you, what doesn't. Things evolve over time. Um, and maybe one day I will get rid of paper completely. But uh, for now, I don't. But I use Monday, Slack, uh, Google Drive uh iphone just alarms alexa all of it all day every day yeah, i'm very similar i use both trello and paper i really like the tactile aspect of writing things down and that i think it can be complimentary yeah so final two questions where can people connect with you well i would really encourage everyone to uh follow potential workforce on instagram facebook youtube twitter wherever else and on linkedin we're really big on linkedin so am i dave thompson on linkedin um and if you are neurodistinct and you're looking for a job or you're just looking for peer support um, whether you're happy in your job or you're looking we do have the this uh newer kind of community called the NDTC, Neurodistinct uh, Neurodiverse Talent Community. Um, if you go to potentialworkforce.com, you can check that out. It's totally free. That's not the business we're in. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, our, our clients are companies, but we do want to support neurodistinct job seekers and professionals. And that's the first place we recruit from. Um, there's also opportunities, you know, you can give us your resume. There's, oppor there's job opportunities. There's uh, opportunities for peer support, tips, resources, and things like that. So definitely check that out. Awesome. And do you have any final words or asks for the audience? Just remember, you're, like I said in the beginning, you're not the problem. Like that was the biggest, the biggest single thing for me to realize uh, in my life is that there's nothing wrong with me. Uh, and, and And the sooner you kind of it, that, that's not to say I don't want to be toxic positive about it, right? That's not to say that um, that it's all good, right? That this doesn't come without its challenges. But um, the sooner you realize that there's nothing wrong with you and everyone needs something different to be set up for success and to lead a meaningful life, the better. Absolutely agree. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It was really good to hear you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was excellent. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus and Chill podcast. To listen to other episodes, jump onto podcast.focusbear.io. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who'd be a good fit, email us at team at focusbear.io. Otherwise, stay focused, stay chilled, and peace out.